0: Good morning. morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 8. Keep your finger there, and I also encourage you to pull out your outline, which is is in your worship program. We just encourage you to follow along with that. And I just want a good report today. We've been doing this Dream Team Central for the last two weeks, and we've had 62 new people sign up for a ministry team over the last two weeks. So that is really good news. And we want, we want everybody to be a part. We want you to be a contributor, not just a consumer. It's not, it, it is not good for you just to come. If this is your church, just to come every week and sit. We need you to serve on one of those things. Probably the greatest impact you can have, the greatest reward you can have, and probably our greatest need as a church is our kids' ministry. And we really encourage you, if you, if, if the, if you would be able to serve in that area, it would be great. Today is the last day that we'll emphasize it on the outside and so do that also use her club real news but we'll do small group sign-ups and then just grab a coat and hang out for a little while we're in this series called be free it's uh, again out of john chapter eight i started with this verse last week i'll probably start with this verse again next week and let me read it to you Says to the jews who had believed and i just underlined some words to help kind of to let you know the context and what's going on these guys we're, we're not just Jewish, but they were, they were Messianic Jews. They believed in Christ. They, they'd come to know Him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. And that's the goal of Christianity. God doesn't just want you to be a convert. He wants you to be a disciple, a follower, a, a, where you understand lordship and are walking with Him and serving Him. Then there's this process of discipleship when you begin to know the truth. And so that old way of thinking and that old ideas and that old way begins to get less and less. And this new way of Christ and this new way of God's word begins to become the prominent idea and thought in your mind. And the truth, the truth that you know will set you free. And they answered him, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We've been believers for a long time. We, I go to church every Sunday. My great-grandma was a charter member of First Richmond Church. What do you mean we're a slave? We're not a slave to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? We're not in bondage?" And Jesus replied, "Very true, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin." Maybe maybe today you've got some struggle, some issue, some attitude, addiction, something that you realize even right now sitting there, if this wasn't in my life, I'd be so much further along in my journey. Maybe it's a pattern where you get free and then you get bound back up and freedom and repentance and remorse and then back to bond. And you just got, I mean, you you love God, you have a heart for God, but, but you just got this thing that won't let go, you can't get free of, and you become a slave to it. And Jesus said, now a slave has no permanent place in the family. It just means you don't get to experience all that God has for you. There's so much more than, than you live in with this low-grade fever all your life and this this thing that won't, that you can't get broke free from, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's my hope for you, that you'll be free indeed. That's my desire for you, that's this series, that you'll be free. Last week we, we broke it down about that truth is freedom is related to truth. And so I gave you three foundational truths. And I encourage you to go online and look at those. This morning is I just kind of shut the door, keep out the devil. Do you remember that Caribbean song? Do you want me to sing it and dance to it or no? No, I won't put you through that. But there's this old song. It's called shut the door, keep out the devil. See, I sing it anyway. Keep the devil in the night. Have you? Don't Google it now, but Google it later. And now now you know. Yeah, no, I'm not doing a dance. But now you know why I preach and don't lead worship. Some of you after the sermon will wonder why I even preach, but that's what I—that's what I do. So, I, so today I want to—I want to help you shut the door on the enemy, because this—this is—this is what as child as a child of God, Satan has no authority over your life. Do you know that? Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. You're protected by God's grace. You're covered by His blood. You're—you're you're filled with His Spirit. But, but nonetheless, Peter said, be self-controlled and alert. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He just wants to, if you give it, you can give him access into your life. And I want to shut the door today. I want to, I want to have, where is that found in scripture? Okay, look at Ephesians. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You know what a foothold is? It's access. And, and in this case, it's dealing with anger. And so I like to, I like to put this and practice this in the relationship of marriage. So Angie and I, my wife, have made it our goal not to go to bed angry at one another. We've, we've went to bed really, 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 really late at times. But, but we really try not to go to bed mad because we don't want the devil. We don't want to give him access into our marriage. Because when he gets access, he causes confusion and chaos and turmoil. And and we don't get to experience all that God has for us. My brother was robbed not too long. Several years ago was robbed. And they went around the house and they tried to figure out how did they get in. And they did the, 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 the fingerprint and the forensics and all. And they found that they went to several doors and a couple of windows. But they gained access through a back door that he left unlocked. I want to help lock the windows in your life. Because this is what Joel said in the Old Testament. They is the enemy. They rush on the city and they run along the wall. And they climb into the houses. You know the houses? It's your spiritual being. It's your life. They run around looking for a crack. Looking for an open place that they can get into. And like these, they enter through the windows. And so what are these areas that we need to shut I'm sure there's multiples of them. There's many, but I want to discuss three with you. I think they're the big three. I think they're the important three because they're mentioned all throughout Scripture. Old Testament to New Testament in different people's lives all throughout. They are, they're not first recorded, but they are recorded in the book of 1 John. This is what it says. Do not love the world. And, and the world, I'm not talking about don't love going to the beach and don't love going to the mountains and don't love watching the snowfall. That's what I'm talking about. The world is the principles, philosophies, and practices of, of the culture that we live in that are in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. So there's, these, there's the kingdom of this world and there's the kingdom of God. And they're running in opposite directions, going on different tracks. And, and John is telling us look, man, don't love the world and its practices. Or anything in the world. Because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And here's the three doors we got to shut. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So there's these three doors. There's these three doors. These three windows that need to be shut. The first one is the lust of the flesh. Really all that means is passions or appetites. Remember, all of us have appetites. God created them. God gave you an appetite. You want to succeed. You want to be loved. You want want your needs to be met. God created appetites. The problem is sin distorted them. So God-given appetites, if not controlled and not hindered and not and not filtered through the lens of Scripture, can become out of control and can become chaos. They're, they're just passions. And normally, when it talks of lust of the flesh, it's talking in a sexual manner. And you, know, you, you don't have to be told this, but just let me remind you, there's a kingdom way and there's a world's way to express and to enjoy sexuality. The world's way is so contrary and so opposed... And so radically different from the kingdom of God's way, the world's way says, Here, "Here's what they're just go have an affair. It'll help your marriage. It, it will it will spark something in your marriage and make it better." And you know we see it. Hollywood promotes it. The books we read and we don't read, but the books that are out there talk about it. And it and this is what the world does. Here's Satan's track trap. He puts it out there. He baits us. You ought to do this. But then when you do it, there's shame and ridicule and humility. The same world that, that told us we ought to do it then turns on us and tells us how bad we are. I mean, it's illustrated through the life of Josh and Some of you read about him even this week. He was on that reality show, uh, 19 Kids and Counting, I think, was it what was it called? And, and he supposedly a believer, a follower of Christ, and he went online, found a webpage where he could seek out an affair, where he would fill out a form, and and he would turn it in, and they would partner him with another married person that wanted an affair as well, And, and his name, somehow the list came out, and his name was on it. And so he lives in a world that says... Just don't worry about it. You don't have to be faithful to one woman. You can do whatever you want to do. And there's programming and shows and books. But then when he enters into it, he's, he's I mean, just humiliate. That's what the devil does. He tries to paint this wonderful picture. And then when you bite it, he turns on you. He says, Man, how wicked you are. And that's where the shame and the guilt and the remorse and, and all the junk, they're just totally in. Awe. Can I just encourage you to do it? Kingdom wins. That was just emphasis. God is wanting you to know. God's just saying, hey, this, pe- this preacher means business. Don't fall asleep. Some of you need some tissue. You just wet your britches. I know you. Do it God's way. Some of you young people, the greatest gift you can give your current, your future spouse is your virginity. You, you you'd save it when nobody else is doing it. You do it. And the night you're married, you can look your partner in the eye and say, Man, I saved myself just for you. There's no greater gift you can give them. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. You know, where, you know why sex was given? For the purpose of cleaving. It's the intimacy. It's the connection. It's the oneness. When you, when you have multiple partners, have you ever put on a band-aid and took, taken it off? got in the bath and then tried to put on the same band-aid, it might stick one or two times, but after a a few sticks, it loses its cleaviness, its stickiness. It's the same way with multiple sex partners. You begin to lose your your cleaviness and then you can't. And God can change it. Thank God for His grace. Thank God for His mercy. But why put yourself through that? I'm talking to people that have not gone down that road yet. Don't do it in Jesus' name. Save it for the one that God has ordained and destined for you. You know, it's like it's like you remember Esau sold his sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. What's the big deal about a birthright? You know what a birthright represents? Money, a lot of money. When the dad died, he'd give the oldest son the birth who had the birthright. He would be the inheritor. He'd be the executor of the will. He would be the one that got the most. it 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 it, it represented immediate authority. When that father passed away, it was the kid with the birthright who would discern and decide. Who, when, when the siblings were arguing, what are we going to do? They'd go to the one with the birthright. He'd be, he'd, he'd be the final authority, be the last word. And in the Old Testament, it represented the presence of God or the blessing of God. And so Esau comes home from hunting one afternoon, and he, he says he's about to die. He's not about to die. He's hungry. He had every good hunter take some snacks out in the woods. Well, I'm sure he had some fruit roll-ups and some cashews. And I mean, he's just, he, he's not about to, his blood sugar might be low. His belly might be, he is not about to die. You know what that is? It's focalism. This is what psychiatrists have called it. They, they've done studies of the brain. And they call it focalism, where this passion, this runaway appetite becomes so big that if I don't get it right now, I'm going to die. If I, don't, if I don't have sex, I'm going to die. If I, don't, if I don't watch this, I'm going to die. If I, if, I, if I don't get some food, I'm going to die, was Esau's case. It's also called impact bias, where there's this false thing. Something in our brain our brain sends off this chemical. and says it's a, it convinces us that the reward is going to be more greater than the pain. So really it says... What you're about to get into, that bowl of stew, it's going to finally, it's going to fully satisfy. That woman, that boy, that, they're finally going to satisfy. And it blows up this desire and says, that's what you need to help you fully and be fully and finally satisfied. And so so, uh, Esau's not even thinking out of his right. I mean, he's just thinking focalism, impact bias. He's hungry. It's a runaway passion. What am I going to do with it? And he says, Jacob... Give me a bowl of stew. And Jacob said, okay, he's got a deal. He's got an opportunity to make a deal. Uh, Give me your birthright. Craziest transaction ever known to mankind. I mean, uh, uh, if my kids were like that, Tyler wanted something from Zach. Zach would say, okay, Tyler, let me drive your truck for a week. Or let me, you got to cut grass for the next month. Or you got to take out the garbage every day and get the barrels out by the road. He would, give me your birthright. Well, you, maybe you don't understand that birthright means money and authority and the blessing of God. And, and Esau, in a weak moment, sold his birthright, sold one bowl of stew, sold his authority and his financial ability in it and the blessing of God. And, and my question is to you, are you going to sell out for one bowl of stew? Is that relationship that you're thinking about getting in, is it, is it worth ruining your family and losing your integrity and the position and your family as you know it? Is that relationship, of that one moment of passion worth losing what you could lose? Is that bowl of stew worth wrecking your marriage? Is it worth losing the respect of your kids? Is it worth ruining your legacy and your reputation? Young person, is that bowl of stew worth giving up maybe the most precious and valuable thing you can give to your spouse? It's the lust of the flesh. It's a runaway passion. Here's the next thing. It's the lust of the eyes. It's possessions of materialism. That's, I mean, you just see that in our culture. That's why consumer debt is $16,000 for the average person. I'm not talking about school debt or house debt. I'm talking about Visa, and MasterCard, and American Express. Over $15,000. One-fourth of every dollar goes to pay down consumer debt in America. Because we have the lust of the eyes. It's not the way that God intended it. It's not what God desires for your life. Those who want to get rich, Timothy, Paul told Timothy, fall into the temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They have left, they love money, they want more, they're not willing to sacrifice or pay for it in cash and they leave the window open, they leave the door unlocked And the enemy enters in and he pierces them with many griefs. You getting anything out of this? Here's another thing. It's the pride of life. It's position or pride. Here's what it is. It's like I I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm self-sufficient. I'm independent. I don't need anybody in my life and I surely don't need God. When I need God, I'll call on him. When I need God, I'll beckon him. But but I I can make it on my own. You know what the Bible says? God opposes the proud. You don't want God opposing you. It means to stiff arm you, withdraw from you. But, thank God for but, that, that means forget everything I just said, but God gives grace to the humble. Those that walk in humility, God, I need you. God, I can't do it without you. God, you're, you're, it's in you that I live and move and have my very being. God embraces, God receives, God minister to, God, God touches. So, so we've got these three, these three areas that if you don't shut the door on them, they, they can enter in your life and cause. And they're all throughout Scripture. Uh, let me show it to you in the Old Testament, Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that's appetite, that's passion. The enemy was playing on her passion. Seeing if he could get a foothold in there. And pleasing to the eye, that's possessions, materialism. I got to have it now. I can't wait. I can have everything else, but I got to have this. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. You know what that is? Pride. I could be just like God. Satan came to him, and tried to get in those three areas: those three position, pride, and, a, and an unfiltered passion. You go to the New Testament, you look at the life of Jesus, the Son of God. Here's one thing about Satan. He's not very... He's very, very predictable. He's not very creative. So he, he, create, he tempted Eve. Then he gets to the Son of God. And he says, hey, Jesus, you've been fasting for 40 days. I know you're about to die. Turn these stones into bread. What was that about? It's about appetites. Maybe there's a crack... Satan's saying, maybe there's a crack in that area of his life where I can get into and cause havoc and chaos. That didn't work. Hey, Jesus... Why don't you go up to that, that high mountain and jump off? And the angels will protect you. You won't die. You know what that is? It's pride. You're gonna jump. You're not gonna die. You're gonna stand up, and everybody's gonna say, That is the Son of God. He's the man. He's the one. That didn't work. Satan took to you. Jesus, look at all, look at all the splendor of all this thing. I'm gonna give it to you. What even his to give? I'll give all this to you if you just bow your knee to me. what's that? Possessions, materialism. it's all throughout scripture. those three areas. some say gold, glory, girls, some possess sex, money, power. It's these three areas that you got to shut. You know there's three main gods in the Old Testament that, that that was fighting for the allegiance of Jehovah God. The one was it was called Asheram. You know what that was? It was a fertility god. That whole, the whole religion was about all about sex, temple prostitution. You know what an astral pole is? Have you read that in your Bible? I'm not going to explain it to you, but just the Asherah pole set. So that was their god. That's what they did. Another god was Mammon. You know what Mammon is? Well, materialism. That's why Jesus said you can't serve both God and He didn't say money, he said mammon. Because his audience understood that. That was a God that they'd wrestled with. Their ancestor had wrestled with for years. And then there was the prophet of ba- or there was the God Baal God. It was a God of power. That's why when Elijah went to Mount Carmel, to, to seven hundred prophets of Baal came, they caught Elijah called fire down from heaven because it was this display that the Baal's not powerful, God's all powerful. All throughout Scripture. It's all in. There. Okay, Pastor. So, how do I shut the door? How do I make sure that I don't leave a crack open for the enemy? Here's the first thing: shut the door on runaway appetites with integrity. And let me explain to you what integrity means. And what I'm saying, I know it means character. And it, means, uh, it it also means wholeness. It's a math term. It means that you're not. It means you're not. It's the opposite of hypocrite. You know where they got the word hypocrite from? Long time ago, they would do these plays. And one person would be four or five characters. And so they would have a mask and they would they would predict they would do out the play and then they'd have to run out and change characters and come back with another mask. And they called those actors hypocrites. Because they kept changing in a different culture, in the different setting they were. A, a, a person of integrity is whole. They're, they don't They don't say one thing and live another way. And here's the greatest way to walk out your integrity. It's in the context of relationship. This is what I know about sin. When sin stays covered, and this is what the enemy wants for you, just let sin stay in the dark. I'll work on this thing by myself. I'm not going to do it again. It's the last time I'll look at it. I promise. Until the next time. You know what? You know what the best remedy for... for sin is, is to bring it to the light. Amen. To say, hey, hey, I'm struggling with this. To just get it out and open it. I'm not talking, not in front of everybody, but in front of a few, few men that you've come to love and know and respect hold and esteem and that can walk with you. You know, that's the power of small groups. You, you know where te- integrity happens? Wholeness happens? It happens in the context of relationships when you're willing to hold your, be accountable and submit to others as you walk out this Christian journey. That's why Jesus said, look, ask me for forgiveness and I'll forgive you. Confess your sins to me and I'll forgive you. But confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. You'll be made whole. You'll walk with integrity. So this month, for the next few weeks, we have sign-ups for small groups. I, I, I'm so glad you come on Sunday morning. I would hate preaching to an empty building. I would hate it. I am glad you're here, but this is not enough. If you want to shut the door on the enemy, and you say, well, I, I've got that area conquered in my life. Pride going before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. We are all susceptible to this because we live in a, in a sex-infested world. You want to shut the door on that? Get in a group. Get with some other brothers, some other sisters where you can talk about. It. And not just sex, any area. Anger, whatever it might be. That you can, that you can walk it out. Where you can take off your mask and be real. That's what integrity is. It's being real. and saying, I need some help. I need some people to walk along. Shut the door on runaway appetites. With integrity we got living free groups if, you, if sexual addiction is something we got a group for that we, a de- if you're struggling with depression and anxiety a group for that if your marriage is, is, is chaotic we got we, we why do you do that because we want to help you. We want you to become and to be and to experience all that God has for you. Shut the door that means can I read you this verse Romans 6:12 that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your life. Don't give it the time of day you want to shut the door. Don't even run a little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Well, I'll just dab a little bit. I'll just I'll just look a little bit. You know what? Every pastor on our staff has covenant eyes on their computers and cell phones. And covenant eyes is a filter that that if you look at something or go to a search site, that it could pull up a red flag. It will go to another man, an account, a person that you've put on there as your accountability partner. And this week... Trevor went to a site <coughs> and he typed on his computer how many calories are in a Little Debbie snack game. And for some reason, Covenant Eyes thought that was a red flag. Why is Trevor looking at Little Debbie's? What, what's, what's, what's going on? What's happening? And so it sent it to his accountability partner. Who's little Debbie? What's happened? What's going on? And you think, well, that's just silly. No, I'm telling you, I'd rather rather be explaining little Debbie and talking about a hostess cake than getting caught up in some mess that's taking me further than I want to go and keep me longer than I want to stay and make me pay more than I'm willing to pay. Get some accountability in your life in Jesus' name. That's good preaching. That is good preaching. Don't wholeheartedly in full time. And that's what I said last week. Let's go all in, man. Give it a year. Go all in. Quit this church a little bit. Make it a priority. Get in a small group. Serve on a ministry team. Be a part of the life of the church. Do it. Just go wholeheartedly into what God wants you to do. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live after all. You're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Here's the next thing. Shut the door on materialism with generosity. (laughs) Let me share with you this verse, Genesis 4. Now Abel, again, a story of two brothers. Abel kept the flocks. He was a herder, a shepherd. And Cain worked the soil. He was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. I understand in the course of time. That just represents when he got around to it. When he knew that he had enough, that it wasn't going to hurt him. In our benefactor might be after he went on after he went on vacation, after he paid his mortgage, after he uh, went out to eat, he, he brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now Abel, he's the farmer. He also, he I mean he's the herdsman. He also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So here's the only difference, Cain brought it in the course of time. Abel brought the first he didn't wait till he had 10 others. He didn't, he didn't wait to make sure that everything was aligned. He didn't go on vacation. He didn't use it for something else. He brought the first to the Lord. He brought it to God. He returned it to the Lord, and he did it first. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering. But on his Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And it ticks Cain off. And he got mad, and his face was downcast. And so the Lord came and said to Cain, Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face so downcast? You know what I'm expecting. You know what I require. You know the deal. You know, I want you to return the first. Don't just do it any old time, any anytime you think about it. And here's what God said. If you do what is right, if you honor me first, if you bring it to me first, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, if you hold on to it, if you don't honor me with it, if you don't return it to me, sin is crouching at your, you can say that, door. Just anytime I pause and I'm pointing something, it's, it's like I'm looking for a little feedback. It's a door. It's just, a, it's just an entryway, just a window. Can you, can you go to heaven and not tie? probably, sure. You, gotta, you know, the only, only way you, I don't know, pastors, I probably wouldn't say, yes, you can go to heaven without tithe. You know how you go to heaven? You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But Satan is knocking at you. He's wanting to get in your door. And I want to shut the door on the devil. And the only way to shut the door on materialism is to give. Here's how Malachi says it. Bring the whole tithe. Tithe means first 10% into the storehouse, the local church. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. You know what God is saying? I'll shut the door on the enemy. You give me first. You honor me first. I'll keep, make sure your vines and your fields do not drop their fruit before it's ripe. I'll take care. You know, I don't believe tithing buys God's blessing. I don't believe it buys God. I do believe it breaks the power of covetousness. I do believe that it breaks the power of the spirit of mammon. I do I do believe that it declares with our heart that God is first and he's foremost. I do believe that giving has the power, the power to shut the door on the enemy and rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Here, here, here's the last thing. Shut the door on position and pride. With worship, you remember what pride says: "I'm, I'm my self-made man. I, I can do it on my own." You know what worship says: "Lord, I need you. God, you're you, you're the reason. God, I worship you. I take myself off the throne of my heart, and I put I put you back on my on my heart." Worship gets you in a heart posture that it says, "God, you're greater. God, you're smarter. God, you're bigger." Get. Worship gets you in a frame of mind that says, I need you, I want you, I desire you, I can't do it without you. Worship, worship is the key, is the thing that shuts the door on pride and position. You say, okay, what does worship have to look like? I'm glad you asked because psalm is really a worship for dummies. Psalm gives us a, it gives us a picture of what it should look like. This is what the psalmist said, shout for joy to the Lord all the year. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and and bless his name. It it says shout and joy and gladness and thanksgiving and praise. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like a contemporary church service. No. That's traditional worship. People ask me, what kind of church do you pass? What kind of church do you go to? I say, we're a traditional church you know, they're thinking music. So they think we're going to have hymnals. And so when they get there, they're. Ah, ain't it is traditional. That's what they've been doing for 30,000 years. We've, we've turned this kind of worship into solemn and reverence. And where is that? This is how God wants you to worship. And, and, and everything else we love, we worship differently. But God, for some reason, we, we, don't, we don't have. My son went away from college. I told you last week. Been gone six days. Six days. He came home yesterday. We were so excited to see him. We high-fived him. Man, we were waiting on him at the door. The little ones went running up to him and just, Jackie, you're home, loving and kissing on him. Angie made steak last night. I haven't had steak in several. I mean, she made him a blueberry pie. He's been gone six stinking days. It was like the prodigal son in return, and we killed the fatted calf. And Emily wanted to go to a birthday party. We said, "No, tax home. Got to stay home. Family first." I mean, we were just so excited about him being there. And then, you know, I, we go to the ball games, and I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not opposed to this. We shout and we celebrate, and that's good. It's fine. When we get home and our some of you pet lovers, your dog comes and you get down and you let him lick you on the face and, and you lick him on the face. I'm just disgusted with that, but you do it. <laughs> Treat him like Queen Latifah and tell him how great he is. And I, get, yeah, yeah. And then you come to church and you put your hands in your pocket. I exalt thee. I worship you. What is that? You know what defeats pride? It's worship. And it's not half-hearted, half-baked, mind somewhere else. Worship is focused. Worship is bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who come. I'm going to shout to the Lord with joy. I'm going to worship the Lord with gladness. I'm going to come before Him with a joyful song. I'm going to celebrate Him with lifted hands. I'm going to honor Him with shouts and praise. I'm going to, if I have breath, I'm going to bless His name. Amen everybody. Here's why. Because Jesus must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. Look, look, let me just wrap this up. Then we're going to worship. Jesus is not against, God is not against sex. You know that. He wants you to love your, get married, love your spouse, and make the song of Solomon sing again. That's your homework. Make, if you're married, make the song of Solomon sing again. That's good. I thought I'd get a little bit better laugh out of that. Maybe second service is better. He's not, a, he's not against you getting material. I mean, He's not against you making money. He just wants you to honor Him with the first and bless Him and use it for kingdom purposes. And He's not against you being confident. He just wants you to be confident in Him. He, here, here, here's the last verse, Psalms 40. You lifted me out of the slimy pit. No, God, I did that. I pulled myself up. I made my own way. No. God, you're the reason. You're the one. You got me out of the mud and mire. Lord, if it weren't by grace, I don't know where I'd be today. I don't know what I'd be doing today. I don't know what jail I'd be rotting in today. God, you did it. You put my feet on a rock. The only reason I'm even here today is because of the goodness of God. You gave me a firm place to stand. You put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. God, it's not about me. It's not about you. So I worship you with everything that I have. Look, shut the door on runaway appetites with integrity. Shut the door on materialism with generosity. And shut the door on pride with worship. Amen, everybody?